This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now let's keep reading here in John chapter 3. This is a fascinating passage of Scripture to me. Because John wrote this some 60 years, maybe 65 years, after Jesus has been raised from the dead. He wrote this in somewhere between 90 and 95 A.D. So it's about 60 or so years after Jesus is raised from the dead. The other three Gospels are out there. Every other book of the New Testament has been written with the possible exception of Revelation. We don't know if if John wrote this before he wrote Revelation or after. But it seems to me that John fills in the blanks in a lot of things that the others left out. He tells us a lot of information about firsthand experience with Jesus, particularly on the night of his betrayal, that the other gospel writers don't give us, even though at least one of them was an eyewitness. So the fact that John comes in after the fact and is inspired by the Holy Ghost to write this tells me a couple of things. First of all, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he didn't come to Jesus by himself. Or let me say it this way. It will make more sense if I say he didn't come to Jesus when Jesus was by himself. John must have been there maybe along with the others. Then that, that begs the question for me, did Jesus say this for Nicodemus' sake? Or did he say this for the disciples' sake? Where do we leave off? Verse 5. Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee that you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it comes from and whether it goes. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. In other words, he's talking about the spirit... Uh, the spirit and the new birth being an unseen operation. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? In other words, he's saying this should be Christianity 101. We should have an understanding of the new birth and what it means as a foundation for anything and everything else that there is. And I would submit to you folks that the reason that the church world as a whole is not a master of the things, the principles that govern the kingdom of God is because we don't understand who we've been born unto. We don't understand what we've been born to do. We should have an understanding of the new birth and what it means as a foundation for anything and everything else that there is. And I would submit to you folks that the reason that the church world as a whole is not a master of the things, the principles that govern the kingdom of God is because we don't understand who we've been born unto. We don't understand what we've been born to do. Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that which we know and testify that which we have seen. And you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now notice that last phrase, the Son of Man which is in heaven. That's not in every translation. But the Jewish ones are. The Jewish ones have it. It's a a difficult scripture or difficult passage to interpret. Because Jesus said nobody goes to heaven except the one that's come down. We know clearly he's talking about himself. And then he says, even the son of man who is in heaven. 
Well, now, is Jesus talking about himself? Is he saying that he's in heaven? Well, he's certainly not in heaven in a literal sense. There's only one way that I can interpret this, and that is he's speaking from a positional standpoint. I'm here on the earth, but I'm here as an emissary of God, and I'm still living from there. Now, that would certainly fit with the being born of the Spirit, wouldn't it? You judge that for yourself. But that's the only thing that makes sense out of it to me. Some translations, as I said, have difficulty with the translation, so they just leave it out altogether. They just cut it off with, no man has come down from heaven except the one that was sent, even the Son of Man, and stop it right there. But it is in the original text. And as Moses is lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Of course, he's talking about the crucifixion. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Notice Jesus is talking about the new birth as being disconnected from condemnation. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Notice God doesn't condemn man. Man condemns himself by his own desires. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now I'll have to ask you again, if Nicodemus is coming by night, and it's an interesting thing also that Nicodemus is never referred to in in the Scripture, the Gospels, other than the one that came to Jesus by night. Coming to Jesus by night is an indication that he came in secret because he was afraid of what the other Pharisees, the other Jews might do if they knew he was a believer in Jesus. So why is he telling the guy that's hiding the most concise information, description of who he is, who Jesus is, and what he was sent to the earth to do? Why not preach that from the mountaintop? Seems to me that he was saying it for the disciples' sake and not just for Nicodemus. But notice everything about what Jesus answered, everything about what Jesus said in the scriptures that we just read has to do with the original point that Jesus made, and that is the works are connected to the kingdom of God. And the new birth, the spiritual rebirth, It comes from making Jesus the Lord of your life and accepting his sacrifice as your own is the key to being born again. Now, for what purpose? To what end? Now we're born again. We've made Jesus the Lord of our lives. We've accepted his sacrifice. Now what? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Chapter 3 is not the day of Pentecost. Chapter 3 is the time when The man at the beautiful gate has been healed and all the crowd comes together and Peter and John begin to preach to the crowd. I want you to notice something that they say. 
This is even a better example because it's in connection with a healing work or healing miracle. Notice what it says. He's speaking to the crowd. Peter's speaking to the crowd. And he says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he will send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. And notice that phrase, the times of restitution of all things. The times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophet since the world began. I want you to notice that heaven is holding on to Jesus until certain things are restored. Times of restitution means rest restored. Until certain things are restored. And what are those certain things that are restored? Well, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus is waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. That means by us. So what things are to be restored? Well, we won't take time to look at it, but you can turn there if you want to. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it tells us that God's original plan for man was to create him in his own image and after his own likeness. The original Hebrew in that, of that scripture means God made him an exact copy of himself. God made man, God made you an exact copy of himself. For one purpose, and let them have dominion over the works of our hands. The next verse tells us where God commanded them to have dominion over the earth and subdue it. Now, can I ask you a question? We know that at the end of that day, the end of the sixth day when man was created, God looked at everything that was made, including man, and said it's very good. That means perfect. There was nothing that could hurt. There was nothing that could harm. But that means that every tree had to produce perfect fruit. That means there was no weeds to get into the garden. There was no thorns to grow. There was nothing that could alter the perfect state until man misused his authority and fell to sin. So what's there to subdue? To subdue means to bring it under control. Or to exercise dominion. So what's man to subdue? Well, Satan was obviously in the earth. Yeah. But there's no subduing the earth. Until after man fell. God gave man command. A command. That would stand. For even after he fell. Even after when he fell. There's nothing to subdue in the earth. There's not a blade of grass that could grow past its boundary. You know, you get some plants that will take over. We've got morning glory. We planted morning glory in our backyard some years ago. It's taken me three years to try to get rid of that stuff. Think you got it all and there's one, one new spray that comes up. Well, that would have been impossible before the fall. Everything would have maintained its boundary. Because that's the way God made it to be. So what's to subdue? Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. 
Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Well, back to the original thought from Acts chapter 3. Heaven is holding on to Jesus until the times of restitution of all things. One of the things that has to be restored is man's authority here on the earth. See, God never changes. When God gave the original command or declared the original intent that man was going to be made in his image and after his likeness and have dominion over all the works of his hands, just because Satan came in and gummed up the system doesn't mean God's intent for man has changed. God still intends for man to have dominion over the works of his hands. God still intends for man to subdue the earth. God still expects man to master the principles that govern the, the kingdom of God, the system that he originally designed and that has never stopped being. It's been corrupted by sin in the presence of spiritual death. But God's system is still intact. It's still operational. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is talking about Jesus dying for us. The context of these scriptures is Jesus dying for us. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, what things passed away and what things became new? Physical things didn't pass away. If you had brown eyes before you got saved, you got brown eyes after you got saved. If you had brown hair before you got saved, you had brown hair after you got saved. You had no hair before you got saved. You didn't grow hair because you got saved. Physical things didn't change. What things changed then? What old things passed away? Spiritual things. Well, then what things became new? Spiritual things. Now, in context with that, and we know that's through the new birth. Any man being Christ, he's a new creature. Same thing Jesus told Nicodemus. Notice verse 21. For he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us on the cross. Who knew no sin, that we may, might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now we see what the new birth is supposed to be about. It's about a substitution. In other words, we have the ability, the potential, to master the principles that govern the kingdom of God. So that the will of God is done in our lives here on the earth, just like it is in heaven. By realizing the substitution that was made. The price that Jesus paid when he went to the cross and shed his blood. And the results that it was supposed to bring. The result that it brought to everyone that accepts his sacrifice as their own and is born again. Is that we become the righteousness of God in him. 
Now, the fact that the Bible says Jesus was made to be sin who knew no sin shows us how your righteousness is declared. Your righteousness is of God because you didn't have any of your own. Jesus was made to be sin with your sin in mind because he didn't have any of his own. So you were made to be righteous by his work with his righteousness in exchange for your sin because you didn't have any righteousness of your own and neither did I. Nobody does. Now with that in mind, turn back with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, it's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus again. Notice in verse 17, it says, For if, literally since, the word if, there's four Greek words for if. The first person, the first uh, tense of the, of the Greek word if is the word since. For since, by one man's offense, talking about Adam, death reigned by one. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, spiritual death came upon all men. For since, by one man's offense, death reigned. I get that. Death reigned. God's system didn't change, but death reigned. God's system couldn't change. The kingdom of God was still intact. The kingdom of God was still in place. God's will was the same for man on the earth before he sinned as after he sinned. God's will for man was the same in the Garden of Eden when man was in the Garden of Eden as it is for man now, for you and me now. God's system didn't change, but death reigned. Death reigned. Death overshadowed God's system so that the will of God was hindered from being done in the earth just like it is in heaven. For since by one man's offense, one man's transgression, one man's sin, death reigned by one, much more, much more, much more. Now let me ask you a question. How sure is it that death reigned over God's system? It's absolute. Much more. Much more true is what he's going to say next. Much more absolute, much more, much more sure is what he's going to say next. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Now, whose is the gift of righteousness? Everybody that's been born again. Everybody that accepts the sacrifice that Jesus made, the fact that he was made sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life, this life, now, on the earth, by one Jesus Christ. Now, it'd be real easy to read that in simplistic terms and say, much more everybody that's been born again shall reign in life by Jesus Christ. But you know as well as I do that not everybody that's born again reigns in life. That's not to imply they don't have the potential or the ability to. But certainly not everybody that's born again lives up to it. We can all agree on that, can't we? That's where so many of the questions come from about what's God's will for me in my life here on the earth because everything seems to go against me rather than for me. But notice he's talking about an absolute. Much more, those which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Let's substitute some definitions here from things that we've seen to be true from previous scriptures. Much more those that receive 
the gift of righteousness that comes by Jesus paying the price for man's sin. And the new birth that is affected through the acceptance of that gift shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Instead of reigning in life, let's use masters of the principles of the kingdom of God. Shall master the principles that govern the kingdom of God. What's the effect of that? Reigning in life. The will of God being done in your life here on the earth, just like it is in heaven. Just like it is in heaven. What's the most important lesson Jesus taught his disciples? Anybody want to take a shot at that? Be real easy to say love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's great. Maybe we should qualify our question. That would certainly apply if we're talking about the greatest of the commandments to be an example to the world that we're born again. But will that cause you to reign in life? Folks, I would submit to you that there are denominations that have majored on love that have zero power and a very poor understanding of the character and the nature of God. It seems that there's one, one sense of receiving, and the word receive here in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17 literally means to take hold of. There seems to be one means or one way of receiving. Well, I don't want to say it that way. Let me, let me change my words. There seems to be one aspect of receiving eternal life by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to be born again. And another means or another area of taking hold of, receiving or taking hold of, that which will cause you to reign in life by Christ. Yet it's the same principle. It's the same principle. It's the same faith that brings you into the new birth that will cause you to reign in life. What's the difference then? One person masters it and the other is just experiences. Jesus talked about mastering. He said he'd give to the church the keys of the kingdom. He'd make us masters through knowledge of who he is. He'd make us masters of the principles that govern the kingdom of God. Govern the will of God being done in your life here on the earth. Now if we ask it that way. What's the most important lesson Jesus taught his disciples to be masters of the kingdom of God? That becomes easy for me. Mark chapter 11. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. The principle of faith is without question the most important lesson that Jesus ever taught his disciples when it comes to mastering the kingdom of God. Yeah, but what about love, Pastor Mike? The Bible says there's three things, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest one is love. Well, Jesus covers love with the next verse in Mark chapter 11. Verse 25, he says, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anybody. 
Faith does work by love. But love without faith will not make you a master of the principles of the kingdom of heaven. Folks, you can't overemphasize the principle of faith. No matter how tired you may get of hearing it. There were times when Brother Hagin would say, turn to Mark chapter 11. I'd think, oh dear God, not again. You know what I wish? Wish I could hear him teach it again. I wish I hadn't taken for granted some of those times when I thought not again. You just can't overemphasize the principle of faith. It's the foundation for everything. You can't get saved without faith. You can't forgive without faith. You can't receive anything from God without faith. You can't receive the will of God. You can't take hold of the will of God in your life now without faith. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I've been believing God and nothing has happened. Well, there's good news. You're further down the road than you used to be. Yeah, but when is it going to happen? I don't answer when. I don't have the answers for when. I just know that the Bible says that it is. It's not my job to figure out when. It's my job to keep my heart from doubt. It's my heart and my job to speak the word of God from my heart and not anything else. Because that's the principle that masters the kingdom of God. That's the thing that will make the will of God come to pass in your life. Yeah, but I tried that and it didn't work. Well, that's right. You tried it. It doesn't work by trying. It works by doing. Without question, the most important lesson Jesus taught his disciples when it comes to mastering the kingdom of God, when it comes to receiving, taking hold of the will of God in, in your life here on the earth, is the principle of faith. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Stop talking to God about your problem and talk to your problem. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Don't talk to your problem about how big it is. Tell it where to go. And shall not doubt in his heart. Don't let any words come out of your mouth to the contrary. But for how long? Forever. Just settle on it being for forever and then, it's, then your, your question's answered. See, folks, I'm not going to start talking sickness after I receive my healing. So it's not an issue for me. I'm going to talk healing while I'm under attack. I'm going to talk healing after the attack is finished. So I'm going to keep my heart from doubt no matter what the circumstance is. And you should too. Amen. What about prayer? Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Do you realize what a blank check that is? What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe. That you receive those things that you desire. And you shall have them. Having is God's part. Believing is yours. We try to do God's part for him. Tell him when we should have it. Your job is the believing part. God's job is to see that you have it. Without a doubt, that is the most important lesson, the most important principle that governs God's will being done in your life here on the earth. James 1.22 tells us to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. It's when we put the word of God in practice and act on what God said to do, that's when the blessings of God become real in our lives. Thanks for watching today. 
Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. It's also interesting to me that everybody else is doing the same action, taking the same step that she took about touching it, but nobody else is getting anything. So it wasn't just the physical touch. It's physical touch mixed with faith. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.